2: welcome to the dope black woman podcast the podcast where we share stories of black excellence as part of our safe digital sisterhood i'm leanne Levers. welcome to the dope black woman podcast this week on the podcast we're speaking to the executive directors of transwave ja renee green and equality ja glenroy Murray. welcome to the podcast glenroy and renee thank you for coming on Hi, Leanne.
3: Thank you for having me.
0: Hi, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure.
2: Oh, uh, Thank you so much for coming on. So one of the reasons that I really want to have this conversation with both of you, not only because you actively occupy this activist space within Jamaica for the LGBTQ plus community, but because a few weeks ago we were having, I was recording a podcast with a group of amazing dope Black women, and we started having a conversation about trans women experiences, but none of us were trans. And I said, hold up, hold up, hold up, there's something missing from this conversation. And it really struck a chord with me. And I really thought, you know, there's not that much being talked about in terms of um, the LGBTQ+ plus community within our space. We'd love to talk about it some more, and then also just to be able to talk about some of the nuances. You know, I've been living in the UK for the past twelve years, and coming back to Jamaica has been an eye-opening experience in terms of comparing my interaction with both communities and <laughs> oh. seeing the differences.
3: Where in the UK did you live? Um, I'm always curious when people say that. Was um, it London I
2: I lived in Birmingham for the first five years, and then I lived in London for seven years.
3: Oh, cool! I I I, was, I studied in London. That's why I asked.
2: Okay, so you actually have a means for comparison. This is <laughs> I do. Great. I do. It's interesting. <laughs> I would really love it if you could both introduce yourselves and just say how you identify, what your preferred pronouns are, if that even matters to you, and if it doesn't, you could say and say why. And what makes you a dope Black person? That's something we ask all of our guests.
3: Oh, um, uh, Renee, you want to go first?
0: No, you can go ahead.
3: May I <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hi. Um, my name is Glenroy Murray. I identify as a cisgender gay man. Um, I am, as you would have said, uh, Leanne, the executive director for. Equality for All Foundation Jamaica, otherwise known as JFLAG, you know, the LGBT organization that's been around for over 20 years, just wow. advocating for the rights and livelihood and well being of LGBT persons in Jamaica. So um, they've entrusted me with this mantle a few months ago, and I'm just trying to keep that spirit and hard work alive. Uh, in terms of what makes me, oh, preferred pronouns, because I'm a cis man, my, my preferred pronouns are generally he, him. I say generally because I think within the community of um, gay men and queer men, there is a practice of playing around with gender. So um, Renee, who's also a very good friend of mine, um, we've known each other for over 10 years, she will refer to me as she, and it doesn't I know she, she's not speaking to my identity. It's just how we talk. Okay. Um, and so when my friends refer to me as she or her, sometimes it doesn't matter. But in terms of my identity, I definitely am a very effeminate gay man and proud. Um, uh, and what makes me a dope Black person? Uh, wow. I, I just think, um, and I'm just going to you know reiterate what others have said to me, I think I am unapologetically myself. Um, and that's something I've learned to be because of certain experiences I've had in the past. And I decided a long time ago that being myself has never hurt me. Um, and that's a mantra I live by. And so I am myself through and through no matter what. Different shades of myself, of course, but um, depending on the context, but always myself. And I think that's what makes me honestly dope because I think that's what draws people to me and make people want to listen to what I have to say as an activist, as a person, as somebody who is also a house mother um, and who gives back to the community in that way.
2: Amazing. Thank you. Rene?
0: Yeah, Yes. So hi, everybody. Um, my name is Renee Green. My pronouns are she, her, they, them. Um, what makes me a dope black person? I don't know, honestly. Um, Girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I, I do. I maybe mean, I think maybe my passion. Um, and I think, you know, maybe because I think also, you know, when I care about something, I care. And so I think that's one of the reasons why I'm in this work. Um, and just the people who I meet as well, you know. Um, Ray, I think kind of underestimates in terms of your, you know, our friendship. She said over ten years, but really and truly Glenroy is my my friend Aww. um and i mean it's in a in the non in a non-gendered way as they of say I often understand, um who generally is um and i respect my friend and colleague um as the money is which is a really you know a really upright one even though sometimes i want them to bend the rules a little but they <laughs> you know they're, up, they're the upright one in the family and i love that about them and so i think you know that makes me a adult Black person just so much I care about the issues and the people around me. Right,
3: um, and just to say Renee is a member of my house, um, we call it the House of Moja. and Renee is one of my, one of the aunts in the house. So uh, it so
2: the house set up to me.
3: Okay, all right, so back in 2017, um, late 2017, I realized a lot of people who I was around were coming to me for advice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess people kind of, for some reason, saw so I me mean, as somebody who had their life together, poor look at me. <laughs> <laughs> and I just decided to formalize it and have like a, a, a collective of persons that I provide the emotional support to um, as they navigated life, activism, relationships, fin- bad financial situations sometimes. Um, and in many ways, Renee is one of the very first persons I took under my wing. Um, and she said, we met each other in twenty 2012. Um, so yeah, 2011, 2012, um, we, we met each other. And um, she reminded me the other day that she had some friends that I didn't really like because I didn't like how they treated <laughs> her and I barely knew her. And I said, apparently I said to her that I like you. I don't like your friends. <laughs> Honestly, we, uh, like, we like it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we've been like we've had our ups and downs, but we've really uh, come a long way together. And I'm really proud of the woman that she has become, both personally and professionally. Um, and so I, I I lean on her a lot now in kind of our dual roles, both being like the heads of different organizations within this movement. That um, we both know can be both challenging and rewarding at the same time um and so as an aunt in the house she just helps me keep a watchful eye on what's happening with the children um let me know when they're when they're going astray sometimes she has one-on-ones with them because sometimes um i don't know if you know pose have you ever watched pose
2: yeah 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 i definitely have okay
3: great yeah so so yeah because the house is modeled after that like the new york Barroom scene. I mean, we there are a few members of the house who do Vogue and are little vulgar You know, I give the I give the children looks, um, <laughs> but I don't really. Vote. Um, and so I've been compared to Electra. Uh, okay. In pose. I'm a, I'm a bit of a tough love kind of mother, and yeah. and Renine is the softer one of the two of us. Even though she does have her mean streak sometimes. So yeah.
2: Okay, interesting. So would you say then that? Um, I mean obviously you formed your own community within the space just but just in general as a wider kind of community in Jamaica would you say that there's a consensus do you have disputes within your community how because I think one of the things that we find one of the reasons that Dope Black Women was created actually was because we didn't necessarily particularly in the UK have a space where people were black women were able to come together um, and really discuss issues that might be controversial um, without getting into it in a way that wasn't respectful or you know n- learning more about the various intersections. I mean we know within the black community there's still a raging level of homophobia regardless of where you go. So I think um, what's it like for in, in terms of your experience being in Jamaica and maybe Glenroy speaking about your experience in the UK versus being in Jamaica?
3: Well, I will quickly say and let Renee finish this point because I think she can underscore a lot of what you're asking. But my quick point would be the girls are always fighting. (laughs) The girls are always fighting. Um, And as you talk about inter-community challenges, I really feel like in the same way, a lot of work needs to happen just in Jamaica as far as educating around trans issues and transgender identity, I think, that a lot of that work has to happen within the community because one of my pet peeves is the level of femphobia and transphobia within the community of gay men, which is why I wear heels and capes and dress and, and, and sometimes, uh, you know, a dress because I feel like people need to be challenged by this idea that being feminine is somewhat less than. But I'll let Renee finish up because I know she has strong opinions on this.
2: The interesting thing since I have come to Jamaica is that I've had conversations with my women gay friends who are, I guess, more masculine leaning and they seem to almost turn their nose up at the idea of trans women, which I found crazy to me. And I think even within the context of on a global scale, when I think of people like Caitlyn Jenner, who, you know, is a trans woman, but then also is against gay marriage. There just seems to be so much discord. So yeah, Renee I I don't know if you want to.
0: Uh, Yeah, thank you. I mean, you know, queer feminine spaces aren't so receptive to trans women. Mm. Um, And I mean, I think it's closely linked to, you know, how a lot of feminists think. Um, And for some reason, they think trans women shouldn't be a part of those conversations or spaces because, uh, you know, for a lot of them, they think we have benefited too much from male privilege. Mm. Um, And so they don't, even though, you know, for a lot of trans women, our very existence is, you know, marginalized or the very definition of marginalization, um, they still don't think that's enough. Uh, because for them the marginalization doesn't start until we start affirming our identities. And so, you know, that's one of the things that is off-putting for them. You know, sadly enough, um, I don't agree, but you know, I can understand um some of the perspectives. And I think what a lot of you know, feminists out there don't understand is that trans trans women in particular, we acknowledge the fact. That we have benefited from male privilege, you know, at least at the early parts of our lives. Um, but then we we still do have the shared understanding um, that patriarchy um, and you know just this entire notion of madness is damaging um, and it, it's hurtful, and we are also oppressed. Um, and so you would think on that basis, you know, we'd be able to come together. Um, and it's not just queer women, all, you know, we have the same issues with queer men as well. Um, so it's almost as if we, we, there's, even though the communities, all the communities, you know, have the shared experience of, of discrimination and all of that, for some reason, the mere fact that we're different is still a divide within the communities themselves. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's almost as if we don't necessarily belong anywhere. Um, And there's, there really is a lot of infighting, I I would, you know, I guess, Um, I keep saying I guess, there really is a lot of infighting. Um, And so like for queer men, they don't, they don't like trans women because they, our existence puts them at a risk or threatens them. Almost as if, you know, what they're saying is that trans women in particular um, is kind of disrupting that status quo and putting them even further at risk. Of facing certain forms of discrimination which is just nonsense um, and so they hurl all that hatred and frustration on us as well you know women are facing these various forms of oppression women already you know face so much um, in terms of men treating them as if they're possessions um, taking away their abilities to have autonomy over their own bodies you know and of course here you have trans women as well who are facing some of these varying various issues why shouldn't we all just come together to you, you know combat the patriarchy and to work together
2: it's it's interesting because Benra you were saying that some people uh think that you identify as a woman
3: and, and also I think it's important to understand that as queer people I mean we find out that we're queer at varying stages of our lives and and, and what that means is that We Even as we journey in the different levels of our queerness or our identities, we're still being fed certain sociocultural norms and values. We're being taught different forms of colorism and racism and and ideals and biases. And so you being queer does not mean that you don't have, you weren't forced to all the biases um, that, this, this, cis, yeah. cisgender, heterosexual people around you that you legit grew up with were force fed as well, um, you internalized all of that. And by the time you fully recognize your identity, um, you have all of this work to undo.
0: Um, you know, internal struggles that happen. I can, I will say, that most of the time, when I face any form of transphobia usually comes from either a queer woman or a queer man it's really it's, uh, uh, yeah like in, in most of the time when i'm around like cis head people um it's usually they don't understand and so they want to know
2: um you know so whether it's music whether it's language uh just the culture in general the physical space at times has historically been fairly homophobic to say the least I I would think Um, or that's just been my based on my own memories of being in school and people asking seemingly ridiculous questions largely out of ignorance as you said like uh, you know are all gay men attracted to little boys and I, I actually distinctly remember a judge one of my mom's friends who was a judge asking me if all gay men were pedophiles which i was completely shocked by i think i was in high school at this point in time um and it's and obviously legislatively we have a law that was is coming from a colonial background that still outlaws consensual sex it still outlaws public kind of intimate interaction between men um and I just want to kind of know about your personal journeys a little bit so what was it like for you both growing up and what at what point in time did you transition into this kind of activist space at what point in time did you say okay I'm comfortable enough with who I am to now take on the the responsibility of being representative of my wider community
0: um I think from for so from you growing up I grew up in a very kind of religious kind of background. My mother was a Christian when she left the church pretty early. Um, but when I got into the church, I stayed for most of my teenage years. Um, I think I got baptized at twelve. Um, and then I was in the church up until about twenty one. Um, I wasn't even ordained as a minister at one point. Um when I was 18. Oh yeah you already Um,
2: identified as being trans at this point in time or was this prior
0: um i mean before like i always knew i was not a man that that's something for sure and like even when i was smaller like my mother bought me dolls and things like that because i wanted them um and so i always thought of myself as a girl or or as a uh, you know um, or as a feminine person who, you know, I wanted dresses and all of that. Um, but my mother's friends and my, her sisters were like, oh, you can't buy them dolls. They can't buy them everything that they want. It's not okay because they're a boy. Um, and so at one point she confirmed and then she tried really hard to get me to conform to, you know, society's definition of what I should be. Um, and so, like, when I got into church, I was kind of happy as well, because, you know, they have even stricter um, understandings of who I should have been at the time. And so, you know, they tried very hard to get me to fit into that mode, which is you have to look a certain type of way, speak a certain type of way, act a certain type of way. Um, and they were even plotting, like, my very life. I would have been married by a certain point. Wow. Mm-hmm certain point um and the uh, one thing I can say is that I was definitely not happy but I wanted so hard to just be normal this is what I thought was normal um because I honestly thought you know my thoughts and who I was that something was wrong with that um and so I wanted to fit into the mold and fit into what everybody else was um and so I think for me my journey started when I started U.E. Um, for the first time when that was back when I was 21. Cause then at that time I started to like explore who I was. I found Gay Point for the first time. Um, and you know, I was just like, okay, maybe I should try finding somebody who's queer and maybe have conversations with them. Um, and I think that's by random I saw like some queer people on campus. Um and uh, Because I didn't know it was, first of all, I had this notion that I was the only one, for some reason, um, who had any thoughts like I had, which is like liking guys and not thinking of myself as a man. Um, I thought I was the only one. I was dumb. <laughs> Randomly met like a group of people. Um, who were all queer, and that first time I, I I saw them and they were inviting me over, cause they I kept staring, and I used to every time I saw them was when we, you know, the church groups would meet, and that's when they would meet as well for some reason, and you know they kept staring, and one of them was like, you can come over if you want, and I was like, I'm not one of y'all, <laughs> um, and so I don't know, eventually I did go over and I started to have conversations and to hang out. And eventually I met like my first boyfriend at the time. And, you know, I just got, I got to understand who I was, or at least who, you know, at least a version of myself that I was finally getting into. Um, I think my first introduction to like advocacy space was again back in 2012. Um, And I think it was when at the time, Dane Lewis was still the head of flag and um, and they had a debate on campus, secularists versus Christians. Um, and I cannot, I inadvertently altered myself in the space, <laughs> uh, not knowing that it was going to be on JNN. But anyways, it <laughs> happened. It's um,
2: an interesting coming out story.
0: Listen, it was, it was a thing. And, you know, that entire period, I still thought I was a man, but a gay man, Um I think at by the ending of that semester, I had met like two trans people at the time. Um, um, and by 2014, she she found out that's my mother because she saw she saw the video. <laughs> um, and she asked about it, and even that story was a thing too, because you know I thought she would have reacted a particular way, because she's one of those stereotypical Jamaican mothers who was like if you're if you're LGBT, I'm gonna pay men to kill you and all of that, and all of that stuff. That's interesting um,
2: because it sounds like when she when you were growing up, that she was quite open because you said she provided you with dolls and that kind of she thing. She was,
0: um, but then she just, I guess in her head, she thought that was just a phase or is this, you know, maybe at, the, at my age at that time, she was just like, oh, they're, they're just a baby. um So they want this now and um, they probably don't know better, but when they grow up, they'll whatever. Um, And I guess she used to hear, like, a lot of, like, people tell her that I was queer. Um, And I guess, you know, it was just one of the tactics to scare the queer out. (laughs) Um, I guess she thought that was possible. Uh, But when she found out, it was, you know, it was a completely different reaction than I expected. Um, Because, you know, I thought she would disown and she would, you know, want to get rid of. But it it was the opposite. She was... The only, the only thing that was apparent was that she really was kind of worried for my safety. The reaction she gave me was so nonchalant and it's almost, well, she did say she, she figured. She was like, oh, I figured you were trans. Um, and there weren't a lot of people who were trans who were like doing the work that I could see. And outside of my two friends who I was living with at the time, um, I didn't know any other trans person. And in fact, I didn't even know I was trans until I started living with them, right? you know, because I didn't know who a trans person was or what trans meant. I was um, going to
2: say, for the sake of the, our audience who may or may not know, can you just literally say what or how we define transgender?
0: Oh, right. So like a trans person is um, someone whose gender identity is different from the sex that they were assigned at birth. So I was assigned male at birth, but I don't identify as a man, I identify as a woman, and so I'm a trans person, I'm a trans woman. Thank um, you. um, And then through a program that we changed had, um, TransAFE has started as like, so a blog and they had like support groups and we used that time, and so that's where it actually all started for me. Um
2: But Glenroy, please share your your journey and your story with us as well?
3: Um. Well, <laughs> so for me, um, my family was never particularly relig- religious. And I say this primarily because I feel like it, it, it had an impact. So um, I was taught from a very young age to kind of um, walk to the beat of my own drum and not care what others thought. Um, um, and I was raised by primarily a single mother for a for majority of my life. And I think that definitely impacted in terms of how I was able to resist um, people teasing me for different reasons. It didn't have to be my perceived queerness, but I was always the different whether it was I was the the nerdy boy that went to the school or I was the 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 person who looked really small going to high school and everybody stopped and like you can't be going to high school because you look like you're seven and I think I learned from very early on that there was nothing wrong with that um and I had a very close relationship with my mother I think In my teen years, um, like 14, 15, 16, I think she started to realize um, that, or have an idea that I was queer. I think our relationship, not I think, our relationship became a bit more tense and so on. Um, And she never had the nicest things to say uh, because I think she was very concerned about what others would say about me, what others would say about her and stuff like that. And so that definitely changed the dynamics of our relationship until, you know, she finally got proof that I was, you know, gay um, when I was 17. Um, That big man yard Cliff Notes version. I was going to say, you
2: said she (laughs) got proof. That sounds like a story, but share as much or as little as you want.
3: (laughs) I mean, I said this before, my boyfriend at the time, who was my age? Um, I'm standing on a big man. (laughs) <laughs> um, um was visiting me was making calls at the okay, house okay. and she found out um and long story short i was almost put out um and i had to promise that i was going to try to change the year that followed uh, was a very difficult and isolating time for me and i remember constantly saying to myself two things this too shall pass and one you know biblical though that may be um, but also that if I can deal with mommy saying very hurtful things to me and deal with this um, rough patch that there was nothing no one could say to me that would ever hurt me. Um, we got over that rough patch and I feel like because, you know, it was around the same time that I think as Renee speak up, speaks about Javed Jagai and, and, I, and I remember one Pride in Action meeting Javed had come and I, and I was just so inspired by him um and my friends would say to me listen to me we we know you we know you're very opinionated we know you love talk up but you have to, you have to be very mindful of work one day in life and whatever I'm not right I'm not gonna right now um but I feel like I was always drawn to advocacy in one way shape or form and I think I had developed over my over the years a kind of mental fortitude for it because of the negative experiences I had. And so through just a series of um, lucky interactions, um, asking, you know, one of my lecturers at the time, Tracy Robinson, about a case that she was working on, which was the the case in Guyana challenging the cross-dressing laws. So my foray Into LGBT advocacy was around trans issues um, incidentally Um, and working with that case and I was connected to JFLAG after that because they were looking for somebody at JFLAG in June and I've been there you know ever since and um, I think it kind of forced my mom who by then had come around in her own way Yeah, she had by then come around in her own way because I remember my birthday in 2016, she made a really nice gesture. Um, And she, I think she became very, after I moved on, she became very intentional about um, the relationship that we had because she had me when she was young and she didn't have another child until 14 years later. And so we had a a very special bond. Um, And I think what was, what I will always hold near and dear to my heart um, was, I think, uh, last year, year before it was last year because it was last Pride. Um, I was it was my birthday is is right before Pride, which usually means then I don't really have no big birthday because uh, work busy working, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I was roped into doing a performance for the for what was it the talent show something like that, yeah. So me and my kids said, all right. We're gonna do, we're gonna do this still. We're going to do a, a little lipstick dance number. Um, and I was in electro mode, whipping them into shape, we only had three days to get it right, and I'm not gonna embarrass me. <laughs> um, and but for my birthday, though, my mother my godmother who's incidentally queer and her best friend um and my aunt came here and they were making lasagna for me because even though i'm lactose intolerant i love lasagna um, <laughs> and um I, I had asked only my godmother to come and watch me us you know, go through the routine right. uh, um, and mom, my mom still came around and watched it uh, and it was such a beautiful like 180 moment for me because I remember being young and having to like I always loved dancing right and having to hide the music videos that I would dance in my room because I didn't want her to see it because if she saw it would have been a problem yeah and then for years later for her to not just watch but to also say oh you're good just that's testament for me to kind of realize that Honestly, even though, and I say this to my kids, that even though sometimes things get difficult um, and rough with our family members, um, we go on our, these journeys because we have to. Wow. Um, and so unfair as it is and unfortunate as it is, sometimes we have to take our family members along journey, journeys with us um, because they need to do the unlearning and they have more years to unlearn than us. Than us. And I think that's the sometimes the burden of being queer and and even more so the burden of being the activist that is queer, that you have to learn a special level of patience and understanding um, because um, you're trying to get people from point A to point B. Through doing this job, I know I've seen people go go through journeys, whether it is you're in the community and you become uh, a, a better understanding of trans issues or you come into your own as a queer person or, and so I think that's what I'm, I guess, called to do, be that kind of voice for people to kind of let them know that it's very possible. Um, And I think, and the final thing I will will say on this is because I remember Javion saying something, um, an unpopular opinion at the time about the importance of um, not only talking about the negative things that happen um, within the Jamaican context. Um, and at first I was a bit bothered by it. I was one of them that saying, yeah, but homophobia, we have to talk about it, you know. we, let's, we, not, we, can't, not, we can't pretend it doesn't exist. But then I remember him made a Facebook post saying that people in the community need hope. People need to know um, yeah. that it gets better because if they don't have that, they will run away. We won't have a community because I do it, whether it is being 40s queen, to let everybody at KC know that gay people went there too, (laughs) or or the other little things that I do. um, I feel like I do give little feminine gay boys um, and also our trans sisters, because trans advocacy is something that's very important to me and always has been.
2: What you said actually is... A nice segue into this idea of su- support and allyship and do you feel as though during your time in activism and just during your lives in general where do you find support and where did those moments come from outside of your family i think where do you find it how do you find it do you feel like there's been growth over the time that you've been um you know taking up this space of advocacy
3: um, so I'll start and let Renee finish uh, with this one. I think, I mean, I'll be very honest. S- sometimes the allies really surprise you. Um, for me, that's been my experience. And it's, it's, it's in those moments that um, you see somebody who would expose really problematic ideas, really just reach us to get an understanding of why their ideas are problematic, um, that you kind of feel like, okay, there is hope. So that in terms of fulfillment, um so when we used to do healthcare worker trainings at jflag I knew that on day one we would have gotten massive pushback people want to know why 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 but I knew I realized very early on that by day three and it was a three-day training that there would be a, a mood shift from for the most part in the room
0: right and my immediate support system um then- mostly especially now because we're both in the same position so i'm both going through similar things mm. right and of course we've known each other probably the longest as well um and so you know they're my immediate you know support and 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 family members and stuff i don't go out a lot i'm very much a homebody um and i can be very introverted when i'm ready and so you know they are if I'm having challenges or issues, they're the persons I turn to. Um, And I also agree with Geno in terms of, you know, like allies will surprise you, people surprise you in general. Hmm. Um, And I've also been saying a lot lately that your family will surprise you um, if you give them the chance, you know? And sometimes it just takes, it takes a little longer for them to get to a space, but when they get there, they get there. So that's that's to me is like something that's very important. and then, of course, like I can find other things to unwind as well. I'm a huge supporter of all things Asian. Oh, I'm a, wow, okay. I'm a super K-pop freak. I'm also very much into BLs. Um, and so I spend most of my time watching those and anime. And I'm also very much a nerd um, <laughs> of the highest the highest kinds. So I'm into anime and manga. Sorry, maybe it's an episode of Pimple Poppers for some reason um
2: i'm a pimple poppers fan i'm just gonna throw that oh oh god it's a problem it's it's a disease i don't know
0: (laughs) it does something it's like i know i shouldn't be watching because it's gross but i i I can't
2: so there is a sense of gratification that you get from watching it and i can't explain what it is
0: those are like the things that you, you know you have to do i think to kind of ease attention because people people for some reason think that being an advocate is all about glitz and glamour because Mm -hmm. they see you maybe travel every now and then and they assume that our salaries are are you know things to talk about not realizing that we're
2: poor
0: not realizing that we barely have time for ourselves and that everybody always wants our times and they, that even when we're traveling it's so annoying because it's you really you really have to be there for work and sometimes you just want to be home we are still a part of the community and therefore still very much face all the forms of discrimination and all the things that happen um you know to everybody else and it's just that we we can't react in the same ways mm. because of you know, the word that we do we have to because be
3: the open well, Renee really knows this, um, but there was this one day in particular that she and I, because um, she she started driving recently and she's been we we incidentally live really close to each other, okay. um, and she was picking me up from work, and um, there was this, and we were driving, we we're trying to avoid traffic, and we were just talking, catching up, sharing horror stories, basically, because work is stressful. And mm-hmm. literally the car just broke down. And we just looked at each other and started laughing. <laughs> it, was and, and it, it was a whole It was a mess. But there was something so pure and so beautiful in that moment. Mm-hmm. And it was such a relief for me. And this is why me and Renee, we went through a really rough patch where I didn't talk to her for a while. Um, back in 2019, um, I said some very mean things to her. I mean, she and I have since talked it out and worked it out and we both understood where each other were coming from. But I feel like also the fact that me and her are back in this place where we have this very great relationship where we look up for each other is also really important to me. Because I feel like she's one of the few people that has known me really since the start of my journey um in activism and so and I've known her since started her journey in activism as well and trust me we me and her can write a book about the mm. kind of um and well uh what's Thelma and Louise vibes that yeah. we have <laughs> so I, I just really also just want to publicly say on the podcast I'm really appreciative of the fact that we found our way back to each other oh
2: I love that I love that I mean, I think one of the things that we try to do on this podcast also, and I certainly have said many things that I've done that I regret and I'm ashamed of and embarrassed of. Yeah, I
0: mean, we're people. I think, I think sometimes, you know, everybody tends to forget that, you know, we're people first. Um, and things happen and we we're, we are allowed to make mistakes and we are allowed to grow from those mistakes and to you know sometimes backpedal on things that we may have said or, or decisions we may have made and say you know um, and just acknowledge all of that we have so much going on like I'm trying to I'm trying to finish school like Glenroy is running an entire organization I'm running an entire organization my friend my friends who start them PhD and such like, like all of that um, and even with with what Adichie said, like, you know, I okay. as a trans person, I got it, I got where she was coming from, right? She was, and to me, she wasn't necessarily saying that trans women don't belong in feminist spaces. I think the radical feminist heard what she said and took it in a completely left position because she she's, has, you know, clarified many times what she actually meant. Yeah. Uh, and even reading her initial comments, I got it right. I, I understood it right away. She wasn't trying to be transformic, at least in my opinion. Hmm. Um, what she was saying is that intrinsically, you know, cis women and trans women's, you know, realities are somewhat different. Um, and some of the challenges that we face are different. And it's true. And so, you know... Cis women have had to deal with a lot of the, the different issues that they've had since birth. And for a lot of us trans women, it's since we've actually been affirming that's when some of that's when our challenges started. Mm. And so she's no wrong there. And she was in no way, in my opinion, implying that because those issues are different, it doesn't mean that we can't come together and work for a common goal and to respect each other that's not what she was saying at all and so I respect those women and those feminists who say we can't Trans issues are women's issues and women's issues are trans issues because that's the philosophy I live by Um, and you know I'm just hoping that through education and through like further dialogue that some of those, those gaps can be bridged like you leanne like what, the work that you're doing is also so important and the fact that you're so open to have these conversations is like one step forward um when it comes to just feminism on a whole
2: yeah I mean I think I know that we um don't always get it right but I think that's part of for me allyship is is acknowledging when you're wrong
3: yeah I, and I think I think I mean I, I use the chimamandas um situation and other like situations I feel like sometimes especially now there's this performativity to being to social justice like you're supposed to perform doing and saying the right things all the time and um I think could Chimamanda have probably said it more clearer probably she probably could have clarified at the time that she, yes, I do believe trans women are women. Uh, I however, do see their journeys to womanhood as different. And so while there will be points of convergence, there may be points of divergence that I think yeah. must be accounted for, right? I think that would have been the superb answer. That would have been the A++ plus plus answer. Um, But I think there, there were opportunities for people to, to Chimamanda, this is how your words could have reasonably been construed as transphobic. And, and, it, and, and to me, it's not about tone policing, it's about acknowledging the humanity of people who are, for all intents and purposes, and based on the history of their actions, allies to your cause, right? Um, and when you have people who are allies to your cause, whenever they do slip up, and they will slip up because humanity, I think our duty as the people who are at the vanguard is not to publicly with them, it's not to scold them because whether we like it or not, being publicly scolded does not inspire um, a greater participation. We say it all the time, you draw a girl, I said, that's a girl, they're a friend. I'm mean, going to really think saying this way they don't be right, right? Yeah. The people who were close enough to her could have done that for her.
0: Yeah, yeah no, I definitely think that's the right to approach, love. But yeah. as I said, the Gen Z at the They <laughs> believe in cancelling. They know the truth. They believe in cancelling. And we said a generation, I don't know what's happening at all. But you know, if we if we want to have lasting change the approach can't be let's burn everybody who has a dissenting view right and not everything is transphobia and not everything is anti-black especially for people who are involved in like social justice and advocacy um you have to learn that the approach isn't block bury and burn it it's sometimes you know talking to and teaching and and helping to reach a level of understanding and learning you know there are times and places places for everything you know there's a time where you do have to block roads and light places on fire and then there are times that you have to sit behind closed doors and have very long conversations
2: but yeah there are there are distinctions to be made between people who have a consistent history of fucking up and uh and a consistent history with a one mistake somewhere in there which I think Chimamanda probably falls into that group Um, So I kind of want to ask a a wrap-up question, which is within the space of being activists and advocates for your community, do you see growth taking place in Jamaica? And what would you hope to see kind of within the next five years or during your tenure as executive directors of TransWave JA and then also of Equality JA as well?
0: Oh, for sure. I, I, um, I definitely have seen changes and improvements. Um, I always tell people that the Jamaica that I grew up in is not the Jamaica that the generation after me is growing up in. Um, there are a lot of changes. I think one there's a lot more discussions that's happening. And a lot of the discussion is more so um, in favor of current LGBT people. Um, Mind you, we still have so much more that we need to do, and there's still so much more dialogue and discussion that needs to happen, but I think that the tolerance level has gone up, even though it's really respect and, you know, um, it's not tolerance that we want, we actually want respect and, you know, ownership of issues and people, Um, but, you know, at least it's a start, I think, and I think a lot of the visibility work that we do and a lot of you know, just the behind the scenes things that we do have kind of helped to shift the narrative a bit about queer and LGBT people? But uh,
3: I, I definitely see growth. I I mean, I think Renee hit the nail on the head when she said the, the Jamaica we grew up in. I think about some of the the signposts that I grew up hearing and seeing, whether it was in the music, whether it was in the common narratives, and that's not to say it's completely eradicated. Homophobia is alive and well in Jamaica, as it is alive and well in many other places. Um, But I do feel like the conversation, more so for for LGB members of the community, is along the path of they know we exist. It's about how our spaces changing to be met, be better, um, more inclusive of those persons. I do feel like we're finally having a trans conversation in a sustained way. And a lot of that has to do with the work that Transwave and other entities has done over the years. Um, And I'm looking forward to see where it goes because I know that's going to be very challenging because of our kind of steadfast attitude towards gender. But um very hopeful for what will come next because we're we're continually expanding the focus and we're continually en- being, engaging a wider set of audiences. I'm not sure if we'll get the kinds of legal and policy changes we want within the next five years, but maybe the next 10. That is my hope. Um, but I definitely feel like um, one of the good things I like, I tend to like about Jamaica is we have a, and this is from my like, legal lens now, once we make a positive legal step, we tend to stick to it, right? We're not necessarily a context where we make big legal swings forward and big legal swings back.
2: True. We
3: hold, we hold on to our legal steps. And, I, and what, I, what I choose to believe is happening is that we're setting the context for the big legal swings that will come.
2: Thank you so much, both of you, for participating in this conversation. Honestly, this is one of my favorite conversations that I've had since I've moved back to Jamaica. I I think I've learned a lot. It's just been so insightful hearing both of you speak about your perspectives and the work that you're doing in in both of your organizations. And you know, as an ally or a, a persistent effort <laughs> to be an ally. Um, If there is anything that Dope Black Women can do to raise visibility and awareness beyond this conversation, we are committed to doing that. Um, And within my professional capacity as an advocate in general. So um, thank you both. And where can everybody find you? So personal, professional, plug your socials. Is there anything interesting that's coming up that people should be aware of both in Jamaica and across the diaspora?
0: Well, oh, first you. up, I have a GoFundMe um to support my transitioning. So um, if y'all can support and share it, that would be great. You can find it on in the link um on my bio or across my social media platforms. For Instagram, it's Renee underscore green one. Um for uh Twitter, it's really at Rene Alexandria. And for Facebook, it's Rennie Green. Um, also, you know, follow Transwave. It's Transwave JA across all platforms. Uh, check out our website. Um, send us a message if you want to know anything further about our work. And yeah, and I'm done. Thank you.
3: Thank you. All right. Um, for um J Flag, our it's at Equality across all platforms well let, let me say it's, it's on facebook it's on twitter it's on instagram at equality ja um, we're jflag on youtube and we have we're putting more content on youtube like our parent sensitization videos and our legal literacy videos also we're we're you know we're ramping up our ad, our ads on linkedin so we'll be promoting our media sensitization series on linkedin and our workplace um, inclusion series well employer employer safe space series that the right term before Elkan kills me. <laughs> um, so that's on linkedin as well so um you know we're doing a lot more stuff and for me personally i'm at glenn devo on twitter at glenn.devo on instagram also for persons that don't know i do have a podcast it's at fishd podcast yes. across all the all those platforms where we get into a lot of these discussions. Um we're five seasons in and I we actually recorded today. Oh. Yes.
2: <laughs> How often do you release your episodes?
3: I mean we were doing weekly um for a while and we started doing biweekly. Um so yeah, um, you can go and catch up, and we discuss in detail with different guests. We've had you know, a range of actors within the community come and talk about a range of topics. So, you know, I would be remiss if I didn't talk about that. So, yeah, thanks so much for having me. Um, and I, re- I really appreciate where this conversation went um, and that, you know. Had Renee here with me, just you know, having a good time strolling down Memory really. Lane.
2: <laughs> yeah,
0: uh, we should be a part two, as the-
2: Yes, we definitely will have to have a part two, and maybe we can bring someone else into the conversation and and um, and add to the collective that we have right here. Um, and I will be tweeting Glenroy about Real Housewives of Potomac after I watch it today. So. <laughs>
3: I live tweet because I have to be in the mess. Okay.
2: <laughs> um, so thank you so much, everyone that's listening. Please don't forget to subscribe and share to the podcast, wherever you get your podcast from. On Facebook and Twitter, we are Dope Black Woman. And on Instagram, we're Dope Black Woman 1. We'll be back with you next week. Until then, stay blessed and unapologetically Black.
0: All the way Black. to Black. It's a black. Black-tastic. Black-tastic. Black-tastic.
3: <laughs> <laughs>